Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Every year, my family gathers for Thanksgiving in Woodstock, Vermont. It's a time laced with ritual and legend. For example, the menu has stayed the same, more or less, for the past 20 years. In fact, you have to write, write a petition if you want to add a dish to the lineup. And there are already more dishes on the dinner table than people sitting around it. My uncle always brings Julia Child's creamed onions. My aunt bakes her prized banana bread. And my dad is always wrestling with the Weber grill to grill a turkey. And the cousins banter over what is the best kind of stuffing. And everyone has an opinion. Oyster, Grand Marnier, classic. And if you haven't gotten the drift yet, food is the central theme here. These rituals are silly, and we often find ourselves laughing at ourselves in the middle of our production of Babette's Feast. However, these traditions help to create a narrative of who we are as a family and what are our shared values? Generosity, hospitality, joy, love, laughter. The stories that we tell, especially the stories that we tell about ourselves, matter. And we are all storytellers. As anthropologist Mary Catherine Bateson put it, we are all engaged in the act of creation, of the composition of our lives. Our identities and experiences are constantly shifting. And storytelling becomes an avenue through which we make sense of the disparate pieces of our lives and place them together in a cohesive narrative. We create a unified whole that allows us to understand our lives as coherent and meaningful. Psychologist Dan McAdams came up with the concept of narrative identity. McAdams conjectures that narrative identity is the internalized story that we create about ourselves. Our own personal myth, per se, and like myths, our narrative identity contains heroes and villains that help us or hold us back, major events that determine the plot, challenges we overcome, suffering we've endured. Stories shape our understanding of who we are, where we come from, to whom we belong, and to whom we are responsible. And in time, 
for better or for worse, we become the stories that we tell ourselves. Our Old Testament scripture lesson for today is a favored one. God has drowned the earth in watery chaos, killing everything in creation, except Noah, his family, and a few animals who survive in an ark that Noah has built upon God's instruction. And after this awful storm, God creates a covenant, a promise, or better yet, a contract with Noah, with Noah's future generations and the whole of creation to never destroy it again. And this covenant is marked by a rainbow in the sky as God transforms a weapon of war into a symbol of peace. This story of Noah and the covenant is one that we love to tell again and again as Christians. For one, it's captivating with the ark and the animals and the violent storm and the rainbow, no wonder it's a perennial favorite in the church school. The vivid imagery and poetic symbolism make it hard to forget. Secondly, it's a beloved story. In the first letter of Peter, the author compares Noah's salvation through water to our salvation through water in baptism, thereby connecting our two scripture lessons for today. And Augustine, in his seminal work, City of God, writes that the dimensions of the ark correspond to the dimensions of the human body, which becomes the body of Christ and, in turn, the body of the church. Deliberate connections are drawn between the images in this story and symbols of Christian doctrine. Thirdly, this story is illustrative. It illuminates our inclusive and expansive understanding of God's everlasting mercy for us. God's love is not reserved for a chosen few, but for all of creation. I will remember that my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. As Christians, we hold on to this story. We believe that it demonstrates no matter how far humanity has strayed, God will forgive us. God's love will never end, even if we don't deserve it. This story helps to shape the narrative that we share about our faith. What is our Christian identity? What is our relationship with God? And who does God call us to be? And we hope this story determines our values and how we live our lives. We become the stories we tell ourselves.
Now, this is just one version of the Noahic covenant story. In the ancient world, warring nations were constantly in battle. It was gruesome. Nations fought until one nation annihilated another. Myths crafted the cultural and political narratives of these nations, thereby providing justification for the violence that was a part of everyday lives. Sometimes, opposing sides even shared narrative arcs, or perhaps better yet, arcs, <laughs> suggesting akin origins. Scholars have discovered marked similarities and plot points between the Bible story of the global flood and Noah's Ark, and versions of a Babylonian origin story, the most famous being found in the epic of Gilgamesh. Biblical scholars believe that the Pentateuch, including the story of Noah, was written after the Babylonian exile. So now the story of the Noahic covenant is about the origin of humanity. So it comes before Abraham, comes before the establishment of Israelite people. That is, according to this story, before the covenant with a particular people, God made a covenant with all of humanity and with creation itself. It's an inclusion, it's an inclusive vision. And yet, the divisive and warring context of the ancient Israelites no doubt shaped their telling of this origin narrative. God's covenant came to be with a select few, a righteous remnant. For the covenant only came after the earth was wiped of most of humanity. So we like to think this story is purely about God's love of creation and the limitlessness of God's mercy. And perhaps it was before it was bent to serve human purposes. But it is not difficult to imagine, however, ancient Israelites imploring this story as a means to differentiate themselves from their warring neighbors to justify violence and war, to wipe out their neighboring peoples. I can almost hear them say, we are the righteous remnant with whom God bonded God's self. Our very existence makes us just and righteous. And so it's not long before righteousness turns into self-righteousness. We become the stories we tell ourselves. And perhaps it's not difficult to imagine this because we do much of the same thing ourselves. In the United States, we cling to the story of American exceptionalism. We say that our cultural and political identity is based upon the ideals of democracy 
and personal liberty. As Lincoln encapsulated in the Gettysburg Address, America is inextricably connected with freedom and equality. For it's a nation where the government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from earth. It's not too long, however, before the rhetoric soon turns into, we are the greatest country on the face of the earth. Perhaps we are the greatest country the world has ever known. We keep telling ourselves about our exceptionalism, and it easily becomes our exemptionalism. We are Americans, so our very existence makes us righteous. Trump is in the White House, so his presidency is righteous. We are born in the United States, so we have a right to bear arms. We are so quick to overlook the destruction, violence, and trauma that our stories not only omit, but permit and perpetuate. We become the stories we tell ourselves. So while thinking about my own family's Thanksgiving rituals and stories, it leaves me wondering, what does it mean that we always have the same family members around the table? Who are we excluding? And what significance does it hold that our favorite holiday is a day of pain and mourning for so many others? Now, it doesn't mean that my family stories no longer have meaning, but it becomes more complicated when we confront the wholeness of the stories that shape our understanding of who we are, where we come from, and to whom we belong. Stories have tremendous power for good and for evil. As novelist Chiamanda Ngozi Adichie observed, stories matter. Many stories matter. Stories have been used to dispossess and to malign. But stories can also be used to empower and humanize. Stories can break the dignity of a people but stories can also repair that broken dignity. So friends, as, Christian, as Christians, our Lenten journey begins with a call to repent. So if we become the stories that we tell ourselves, this Lenten season, let us examine the brokenness 
the humanity, the beauty, the wholeness of the stories that make us who we are. <laughs>